we should have done this. See, there's an unfortunate thing called time constraints in life. We should have done this yesterday because I probably would have only talked for about five minutes. And then last night, my heart and my mind were just going berserk. And I'm like, how am I going to take all of this and let it out in a way that people can make sense of it? I might not be able to. (laughs) Hence the prayer we just wrapped up. Because the Holy Spirit can. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you into all truth. I've got nothing if the Holy Spirit doesn't come and make sense of the gobbledygook in my brain right now. (laughs) But there's something that Jesus has put on my heart. And it has to do with this. There's a quote that I wanted to begin with by a guy named A.W. Tozer. And this has been, actually, we're going to go back. (laughs) We're going there. But we're going to start here. Think about this for a minute. The most important thing about a person is what they believe about God. The most important thing about a person is what they believe about God. What we believe about God filters out of our lives into everything we say, think, feel, and do. For better or for worse. I don't need to convince you of that, do I? But the reason I bring this up is because it's still Easter in my mind. Easter is not just a day. Easter needs, I think we need like a year to focus on Easter. Easter kind of comes and goes. And it's like, wait a minute. We found some Easter eggs. That was great. And the Easter Bunny came and left some baskets. And we we talked about the resurrection. Yes. Dot, dot, dot. Right? It's like we're just getting started. And what's on my heart this morning was really provoked by some things that my wife and I saw on Facebook around Good Friday. And it had to do with the misunderstandings that come out about the Father's heart in relation to Jesus on the cross. But then I thought, you know what, there's a lot more going on here. You see, Easter is this thing of hope, it's this thing of life, it's It's new creation, but at the same time, if you really look at the Easter story, I've been just bathed myself for the last week or so in the the narratives of the Easter story, and you know what is there just as strong as the hope? Is despair, and this sense of abandonment, and the sense that the best of our lives is behind us. And you look at that, and you're like, wait a minute, how does this all work? But haven't you ever had that thought? Has that thought ever occurred to you, that sinking feeling that the best of your life is behind you? And we need to keep that in mind to get a sense of what the disciples were feeling. But even more than that, what Jesus was feeling. Go ahead, Cam. These words ringing out of the mouth of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you've seen the Passion of the Christ, done in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, and this cry of passion. And what people were posting on Facebook were things like, it's so beautiful that Jesus was willing to be separated from his Father and that the Father turned his face from Jesus for our sake.
let me go back a little bit. So I was in China for almost five years. It was a significant chunk of my life, but it wasn't just the five years that we were in China, but it was also the five years leading up to it. This was a 10-year portion of my life. And as I was thinking through this, I was going back to the feelings that I felt about two or three months before we left China, going back to this feeling of, is the best of my life behind me? When you're a missionary, your whole entire life, the trajectory of your life is, where are you going to go? And once you get there, then all of a sudden it's kind of like this, okay, this is great, Um, now what? And then even worse than that is, now it's time to go. Can you imagine feeling like you fit the pinnacle of your life as a 30-year-old? Yikes, right? And there are these emotions that are wrapped up in that. Jesus, where are you in this? I know that you are in China with me. I know that you called me to do that. But where are you as you call me back to the central coast of California? Or not even to say it that way. Where are you when I have to move back to the central coast of California because of my health? Where are you then, God? Because wasn't the whole point of my life to be here in China? You guys feeling, you you know kind of what I'm talking about? Like everything leads to this point, and then something changes, and it's like, yeah, that was great, God, but what about now? What about moving forward? Where are you now? In the words of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? If you have heard me teach before, you know that I like to kind of bounce around from story to story. And eventually I will do my best to come back and tie up loose ends. So we're going to take a few snapshots of a few different stories that actually the same thing is going on. We're going to take a look for a minute at John chapter 20, this resurrection narrative. John chapter 20. You can open up there if you want, verses 1 through 11, but we're going to have it up here. And I'm going to read through it really quick, California style. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Remember, the tomb where Jesus was laid after the person that Mary had given her life to follow dies. That's what you'd call a transition point in life. Jesus dies. So she comes to the tomb because she's still looking for life where this thing was. While it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away, From the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went to the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Whoever took Jesus' body away apparently had a penchant for doing laundry. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. Now, wait a minute. What does he believe? Does he believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead? He believes that they took Jesus' body away. Because it says, they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. 
Now this is the clincher right here. Then, because what do you do when the person you've given three years of your life to dies? You simply go back home and regroup. Go ahead and go to the next one. But Mary stands weeping outside of the tomb. So we have Jesus on the cross crying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have Peter and John who run to the tomb and they think that Jesus' body has been taken away and they believe that so they go home. Later, you know where you will find them? John chapter 21, what are they doing? They're fishing. Hmm. Going back to their old ways. Because this life they thought Jesus was going to give them has been destroyed in front of their very eyes. God, where are you? I gave up everything for you. And this is how you repay me? With an empty tomb and a folded up cloth? Thanks a lot. But Mary stands there weeping. So two weeks after I left China, I was in Boise, Idaho, where my mom and stepdad live, and I was going through some of my old stuff as we were about to move out here, which is a whole story in and of itself that we'll save for another time. We're about to move here to Morro Bay, and I'm going through my stuff, and I find this thing I'd written in high school. It was this autobiography that I had written as a 15-year-old. Now, if you want to see life from an interesting perspective, go back and see how you viewed things as a 15-year-old. And there was this component to this autobiography that I had totally forgotten about. I was flipping through the very last page. It was about my future. And this is a paraphrase of what it said, okay? It said, when I am 29 or 30 years old, I want to live near San Luis Obispo, California. I was 30 at the time. And it said, I want to be married with a couple of kids. And I'm like, I really said this? <laughs> I'm sitting there like, this is a joke, right? Like, who planted this? This is not funny. And I'm going through all these things, and I'm like, what is going on here? I had completely forgotten about all this. Totally just, not even shelved it. We're talking like attic in a trunk that has a lock, and you lost the key, and then you moved houses four times. Like, this was so out of my mind. And I'm like, Jesus, what is going on here? And then I kept reading, and it said, and I want to be an architect. <laughs> and pff, there goes my, like, it's like, oh, that was beautiful, 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 boom. Oh, yeah, never mind. Foul tip. <laughs> Strike. But then, you know, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Who says that architects only design buildings? Have you ever thought about architects that architect community? I thought, oh, I hate when you get me like that. <laughs> but this was the underlying message that God was speaking to me. In the time that you think I'm furthest away, in the time that you think your dreams are long forgotten, I never forgot. I never once forgot. 
and you think or you thought that it was going to be a straight path from Madera, California to San Luis Obispo, and you would have loved that. But you know what I realized? Sometimes God takes us the long way around to our dreams so that we can become the type of people that can fully appreciate them when we get there. Does that make any sense? Have you ever felt like God has taken you the back way and you're like, Jesus, are you kidding me? Like, look at the GPS. It's a straight line. And he's like, we're going to take a little bit of a detour through Colorado and through 40 other countries, including five years in China, and then we'll land you back on the central coast of California and see what you do with that. And it was just that little turn of the kaleidoscope that makes me think, wait a minute, I thought God was far off, yet really? God was closer to my dreams than I was? Now, what does this have to do with Peter and John and with Mary and with my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's probably what you're wondering. See, Peter and John, remember John chapter 21? They go fishing because that's what they knew. I want to be an architect, Jesus. I want to be a fisherman. And Jesus, he comes to them on the shore. This is almost comical. Three years with the guy. He comes to the shore. They're out fishing. And he goes, children. He calls them children, first of all. I don't, yeah, I don't know what to make of that. But he says, have you caught anything yet? Knowing full well that what? Yeah, right. And he says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And they do that. And what happens? 153 fish. This thing is so full of fish that they could barely bring the nets in. The nets are about to burst. But before that happens, it says something. It says, and they recognized that it was the Lord. There was this moment when Jesus spoke to them and gave them perspective about their season of life, their circumstances. And all of a sudden, what looked like mundane and looked like God was absent and removed and distant, it looked like God had given up on them. And all of a sudden they see that the whole time Jesus has been on the shore waiting to get their attention. And boom, they bring in this huge catch of fish and he says, sit down and eat. And he cooks some bread and he cooks the fish for them. Now, think about this for a minute. Architect, architect designing buildings, architect, architecting community. Fisherman, what did Jesus say the first time that he saw Peter? Follow me and I will... Make you fishers of men. Now, when we think of fishing, we think of what? A rod and reel, right? But how were they fishing in John chapter 21? Throwing out a net. Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and preaches to all these people about Jesus. What is he doing in the spiritual realm? He throws out a net and brings in the catch. And Jesus says, see, your dream was right. But the expression was off. Your dream was to be a fisherman. But I want to fill that with new meaning for you. You see what I'm saying here? And what about Mary? So Mary stands weeping outside the tomb. Another comical scene. She stands there, and she's crying, and she talks to the angel, and she says, where have they taken this man? And the angel's like, who are you looking for? 
And actually, she hears a voice behind her. Do you remember this? She hears a voice behind her. And this voice says, who is it that you seek? She says, sir, I'm looking for my friend. Do you know where they've taken him? And it says that she thinks he was the gardener. Now, if you want to have a mind-blowing resurrection message, think about what John might be trying to point your minds back to, referring to Jesus as a gardener after he told us it was the first day of the week. Okay, we'll save that for another day. John is trying to get our attention that there's something huge going on here and it has to do with new things, new days, and a garden. But anyways, that's a little segue. Mary thinks Jesus is the gardener. And Jesus speaks her name. He says, Mary. And what happens? She's like, why are you talking to me like you know me? It doesn't say she did this, but how it tells the story, it looks as if she turned around and ran to him and almost jumped up into his arms. Because you know what Jesus says? Don't cling to me, but go and tell the others that I have come back to life. And it's not just like he's talking to her from a distance, like, don't cling to me. He's like, no, like, (laughs) don't cling to me. I picture my boys, like, when they want to hang on to your ankles or something, you know. Don't cling to me. Mary's response was, this is my Jesus. But you see, now, think about this for a minute. Have you ever been in a season where you can't see God anywhere? But then all of a sudden you hear him speak and you realize he's been there all along. Now what was the difference with this? You know what I think? I think that sometimes God just changes clothes. He's like, what are you talking about? She thought he was the gardener. This isn't the Jesus I know. This is somebody else. Jesus had changed clothes. He was doing a new thing in her life, a new thing in the world. And it took her a little bit to wrap her head around it and see that it was him. Maybe that's where some of you are. Maybe some of you think that Jesus has totally left. Jesus is totally out of the picture. But what if he's simply wearing different clothing? What if... What Jesus is doing is actually something that isn't viewable, visible from the surface. But he's doing something so deep that even you can't see it. Isn't that how gardening works? So let's go back. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is going to be fun. You've heard that statement before, right? That the Father had to turn his face from Jesus as Jesus was on the cross. Has anything about that ever not vibed with you? Have you ever wondered, is that really the kind of father that God is? If one of my boys ran in here right now, or the story Mike told, that was a perfect little segue into this, perfect transition. Out on the soccer field, if it was my boy, would I just kind of stand and watch as he's in pain? I coached soccer. Would I just stand from a distance and even turn my face, even from one of my players, much less my own child? But what about those words? That's what it says, Chris. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, 
was separated from the Father. Question for you. If Jesus was praying, if Jesus was talking to his Father, is that how he would have done it? Think back to every single one of Jesus' prayers in the Gospels. How does Jesus start them? Think about the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, what does Jesus say? Our Father. John chapter 17, Father, I pray this so that they will be one. Lazarus, John chapter 11, Father, I'm not praying this for me, but for them. Father, 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 Father. Every single one of Jesus' prayers started with Father. Except for this one, apparently. Unless Jesus was doing something else. Somebody think of a song real quick. Think of a really popular song that most people would know the words to. Who's got one for us? What's that? Row, row, row your boat. All right. So, all Christy had to say... Now, think about this. How many of you guys... So think about this for a minute. When Christy said that, thank you, that you must be hanging out with three-year-olds lately. Um, when she said that, how many of you guys, your brain just says over and over, row, row, row your boat, row, row, row your boat, row, row, row your boat. And just kind of like you're on like a broken record, right? Like you're a scratch CD or something. How many of you do that? Or does anybody else, your mind fills in the rest? What do you, what do you hear? Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. But she didn't say that. Why are you trying to fill in gaps for her? Isn't that what naturally happens? Because you have the song memorized. Okay? Chris, you seem really ADHD this morning. Bring it back to Jesus. Think about this. Most of the Jews that would have been around the crucifixion of Jesus would have had most of the Psalms memorized particularly the ones that hung around Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. You don't just say, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. You fill it in in your minds. Jesus is not praying. He's quoting from Psalm 22. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And people latch onto that and we say, the Father must have turned his face from Jesus. Yet open up to Psalm 22 for a second. We're not going to read the whole thing. But I want to show you something huge. As you, if you were just to skim through this, you would notice that there's a lot more going on here than just a statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You notice things about none of my bones were broken, right? You notice that it says something about hands inside being pierced. Even clothing, that they cast lots... This is like a description of exactly what Jesus is going through. And look at verse 24. Beautiful. For he, speaking of God, has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And wait a minute, wait a minute, wait for it. 
and he has not hidden his face from him. But he has heard when he cried to him. Now it gets better. Like that's not good enough. It gets better. Now look at this. Go to verse 28. I'll read it in the ESV. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. Before him will bow down, who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. Now listen to this phrase. He has done it. He has done what? He has become king. This psalm, Psalm 22, is a psalm about the Messiah, about the coming king. Where have you heard something from the cross that sounds similar to he has done it? It is finished. Jesus from the cross as the same way that he does to Mary and to Peter and John. He says, look it, you guys think there's something going on here. You think that God is far off. You think that God has given up on us. You think that God has given up on the world. But there's actually a whole different thing happening here. This is not God abandoning me. This is God meeting you in me in your deepest darkness, so there is nowhere you can ever run and hide from God's presence. That there is nowhere that God cannot reach you. That there is nowhere that for you God will not go. You think that this is about God bailing on you, but this is about God making all things new. It's a whole different reading of the story, isn't it? By the way, Cam, will you show us John chapter 16 real quick? This is what Jesus said to his disciples before the cross. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, check this out, each to his own home. I know you're going to go home. I know how you are. But it's okay because I'm not alone. The Father is with me as I go to this horrible place. God has not given up on me, and I have not given up on you. As a matter of fact, one more, Cam. Not only did God not turn his back or his face from Jesus on the cross, but God was in Jesus on the cross, reconciling the world to himself, not counting our garbage against us, the trespasses that put him on the cross. And he says, I still won't give up. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Easter is the message that God has not given up on the world. 
It is the message that God has not given up on you. Now the question is, will our eyes be open? Will our eyes be open to see where Jesus is as he does a new thing in our midst? Will we look for the old Jesus that we knew? Or will we realize that maybe Jesus has changed clothes as he's changed the world and as he's changing us and he's doing a new thing in our midst? He hasn't left us alone, but maybe he's doing something so deep beneath the surface that it'll take a long time to be evident above ground. But wouldn't it be so powerful to hear him say that? Just like Mary, where have you taken him? One word from Jesus and her world changes. Her despair turns to hope. Same thing with the apostles. Their despair turns to hope. We thought we were just going to do this old thing. And Jesus says, let me show you what's really going to happen from here on out. The best is not behind you. The best is yet to come. 